I would like you to turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. The book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians is one of those, (coughs) excuse me, one of those uh, uh, relatively small books of the Bible that were originally a letter. They were written as a letter, but the author, though in this case, and like many of the others, the, the, the person that God used was a man named Paul, but the author is the Holy Spirit. And I say that because though this was written a long time ago, it is for every one of us. It wasn't just for a church in a place called Colossae. It is for every one of us here today and for every person really throughout time. And so let's give ourselves to the Word. The title this morning, I don't always title my messages, but I have one this morning. The title of my message this morning is The Living Dead. <laughs> the Living Dead. And, and as, I, as I put that title down in preparation for this, I've been working on it for some weeks, for actually a couple of months, um, as I put that title down, it, that title catches a person's attention, but I'm not referring to some horror movie. It kind of sounds like the title to a horror movie, doesn't it? The Living Dead. I, uh, I, I've, I've watched one horror movie in my life. It was, I was nine years old. And, and uh, we were staying with someone, and I watched this old 1930s, 1940s uh, uh, movie with Dracula in it, right? A vampire. And I tell you, it scared the liver out of me. I, 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 I did not sleep very well, but I kept the light on for two days in my bedroom. And I said, that's enough of that. I don't need any of that. This sounds like, the, the title sounds like a, a horror movie, but it, it, it's not. It's not, right? Zombies that lurch and mummies that walk and vampires that stalk and, and ghosts that haunt, they are not real. And quite frankly, I want nothing to do with them. I, I don't have anything to do with that stuff. There's, a, there's enough sadness and sorrow and evil and suffering around us. Why spend some good time and money to watch it portrayed on a screen? That's what I say. There's my opinion, and, and I think it's a good one. By the living dead, you see the title there, you heard the, hear the title there, when I say the living dead, I am not referring to that, I am referring to persons who were once dead, but who are now alive, and who are commanded by God to put certain things to death. Let me run that by you again. Uh, by the living dead, I am referring to persons who were once dead, but who are now alive, and who are commanded by God to put certain things to death, to kill certain things. You don't believe me, the, the Bible tells us truth. The Bible refers to death. The Bible refers to death and the living dead, the Bible refers to the living dead a lot. One of them here is in Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, it reads this way. When you were dead in your sins, it's the first death reference, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. In fact, those of you that are here this morning, some are listening, but those of you here, you see it on the screen. Would you do this with me? Can we, can we, say, can we read this together? Let's do, it. Let's do a public reading of Scripture. Let's read it together. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Let's read that last part again. He forgave us all our sins. That's a powerful text. That's a powerful verse. Now, please understand the, the context of this, of this text, of this scripture. This was written to Christians. This was written to Christians in a, in a city called Colossae. That's where we get the word Colossians. They were the people of, of Colossae. But they were Christians. These were people who at some point prior to this letter had surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, people who were no longer living for themselves. So understand who this is being written to. It's being written to Christians. And and, and as Paul writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, 
you have been, you were, past tense, you, they, they had been dead in their sins. Dead, right? He said that first part of the verse, when you were dead in your sins. Interesting thing about uh, a, a dead body is they're unresponsive, right? Uh, and I, I'm, I'm not making light of it, and, 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 but, but a, a dead person is unresponsive. They do not move. There is no heartbeat. They are, their mind is totally unresponsive. They had been dead. These people, though they were perhaps physically alive, certainly at one point, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They had been spiritually unresponsive. Now you think about this. These, this is really the, the state of how we are on Wednesday nights. We have had a great time this last Wednesday night. Many of you were there. Uh, we're, we're, we're going through the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to get into Genesis chapter 3 here in a couple of weeks. And it's talking about the fall of man. I'll tell you what, there in Genesis chapter 3, they, everything got messed up in Genesis 3. I mean, it just everything went bad there. Because, because, of, because of what Adam and Eve did, and they disobeyed God, ever since then, mankind has been born into sin. We are born into a sinful nature. We, 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 we are born bound in sin. I had a friend, I think I've mentioned this before, I had a friend who, uh, who and we call this the understanding of original sin, that we are born as flawed individuals. I had a friend who was telling me one time, he said, he said, uh, we were in college together, and he said, you know, I struggled, with, I struggled with the understanding of original sin, how somebody could, could, just, could just, be, just be born in, 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 in the grip of sin. He said, I struggled with that. He said, I didn't, it's not that I didn't believe in it. I just struggled with it. He said, until I had children. And he said, that child, that child, that three, four, five-year-old child, no one taught them to say those things. No one taught them to act that way. They're evil. He said, children are evil, and they need Jesus. <laughs> Every parent here said, amen. Yeah. We're born into sin. And, and this, is, this, is, this is what Paul is writing here. He says, you were dead in your, in your sins, but the best part of the verse is, is the, the, the first part and the middle part is talking about the, the, the spiritual state, but I think, my opinion, the best part of the verse is at the end of the verse. It says this, God made them alive with Christ. You see it there before you. God made them alive with Christ, and he forgave them all their sins. <laughs> That's good. He made them alive with Christ, and he forgave them, not some, but all their sins. How many here are really glad that Jesus forgives sins? He does. <laughs> and those who put their hands up, yes, because we've been there, so many of us. It's not just for, you see, it's not just for people who lived long ago and far away. It's for anyone who is in Jesus Christ today. It's for anyone who is in Jesus Christ today. We were dead, past tense. We were dead. We were spiritually dead. We were insensitive to eternal things. We were even unaware of our deadness, right? See, that's the thing about a dead person doesn't know they're dead because they're dead. And a spiritually dead person doesn't necessarily even know that they're spiritually dead because they're dead. Because they haven't been, it's only later on when they have come from the dead, and they're now living in Christ, do they recognize that, yes, I was once dead, but now I'm alive? If you're in Christ, you're alive. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're alive. That's why we do what we do. I mean, that's why we're here today, because we were once dead, but now we're alive through Jesus Christ. It's why we do what we do, so that those who are right now dead, people that we know, people that we love, people that we work with, people that we study with, people that sometimes live in our own homes. They're spiritually dead, but we're going to do everything we can to reach them so that someday they're alive. That's why we do what we do. It's why we love God and love people and share Jesus Christ, because it's only through the person of Jesus Christ that we can be alive. This is, who's Paul's, this is who Paul's writing to. In verses 14 through 19, we're reminded of how it happened. 
It happened when Jesus died on the cross. It happened when he removed the power that Satan once had over us. It happened when Jesus gave us a new way of living and a new purpose. That's what is talked about in verses 14 through 19. It is, uh, you know, do you know that that is why the symbol of the cross, you see it here on your right, my left, you, the, the, the symbol of the cross, that's why the symbol of the cross is so beautiful. You do understand, right, that the symbol of the cross was originally a, a symbol of death. In some ways, it still is. It's a symbol of death. Right? This is capital punishment. This is how people were executed two millennia ago. It, was, it not only symbolized death, it symbolized the most horrible and suffering kind of death. But to us now, we look at the cross and we go, it doesn't represent death. It represents Jesus' death, but it means to us eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's why the cross is very precious to us. It's through Jesus' death on the cross that we went from death to life. In verse 20, still in Colossians chapter 2, in verse 20, there's another death reference. I told you there are several. There's another death reference. It reads this way. Since you died, there it is, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit uh, to it, do you submit to its rules? Why do you, why do you, uh, so, so he's saying you died with Christ. Now, wait a minute, we were dead and then we died? No, we, we were dead in our sins, we came alive to Christ, but when we came alive to Christ, we died to the old ways. We died to the things that used to hold us. And he's talking here, Paul is writing to some people who had come from, who when they were dead in their sins, they had practiced some of the pagan religions of that area, uh, some of the Greek, what we now know is the Greek mythology to them, it was, I mean, they, they worshiped those gods. Uh, to others, to others, they were, had come, uh, they had grown up Jewish, and they, they saw all of those systems, many of which had a very good meaning, but still were powerless to forgive a person's sins. And, and so Paul is addressing here, and, and he's basically telling them that, that you grew up with these, these forms without the function, but they couldn't save you. He's, he's, he's asking these Christians, people who were alive in Christ and dead to their old life, why some of them were going back to the old systems and the old rules. See, this, was, this is always a problem. Not always, but it's frequently a problem. When people grow up in a certain system and they think this is how you please God. If you do this, if you do that, if you, if you say enough of these things, then you will please God. But then they realize that, oh, it's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we come, that we come alive. And now we realize you could say those things and you could do all of those things for lifetimes put together and it would never accomplish it than what Jesus did on the cross. See, it's, it's what he did, it's not what we do. All we do is we surrender our lives to Christ. And Paul here is saying, well, don't go back and think that your faith is based upon what you do and the things that you say and all of those forms without function. He says, why are you going back to that? If you come alive in Christ don't, and you've died to those things, don't go back to it. You see, this is why people who are in Christ are the living dead. We who were once spiritually dead, we have come alive in Christ. But now that we're alive in Christ, we are to be dead to the old religious systems that had no power in the first place. We are the living dead. Go up to someone this week. Look deep into their eyes. Get about this far from their face. If you're Norwegian, it'll be about this far from their face. Look them deep in the eyes and say, I am the living dead. Go ahead and try that this week. Just see their response. Let me know how it goes. I'm kidding, of course. Don't do that. Hey, well, look at you. Something's wrong with you. But you are the living dead. You are the living dead. You're living in Christ, but you're dead to the old life. You're the living dead. I'm the living dead. There are multiple millions, only God knows the number around the world and throughout time who 
have been and are the living dead. And if, if they have been, they died there with Christ and they're still living to him, for him, and dead to the world. In Colossians, now chapter 3, even though there's a chapter break, the, the theme continues. Colossians chapter 3 continues this way. Verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died, there it is, third time of a third death reference. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This essentially means this. We died to our old life. We're now alive in Christ, and we're going to live with him forever. Isn't that good? Let me say that again. Just get, let this settle into your spirit. If you are in Christ, we died to the old life. We're alive in Christ, and we're going to live with him forever. What a great promise. We're talking in Sunday school this morning, the person who was sharing reference the text in, in uh, 1 John, these things I've given to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that we have, not hope, not just, you know, trust that it might happen. We can know that we have eternal life. I don't know about you. I don't know the specifics of your life. But there are days that I think we all experience, that I experience, that are hard, right? Sometimes they pile up on one day. Just, just like, oh, so hard. I've, I've learned to do something when those days come my way. When you encounter things that are just so hard, I look at them, I step back, and, and, and it's hard. I mean, some of the things that I face, some of the things that you face are really, really heavy. I mean, crushing at times. It's good, I have found, it's really good to step back for a moment and say, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to live with Jesus forever. This thing is not going to follow me to heaven. This thing is not going to be, this, is, this does not define my life, and it certainly doesn't define my eternal life. Someday, this, this probably won't even be a memory. Someday I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to live with him forever. And I'll tell you what, you start looking with eternity in mind and it'll change your present. So I am struggling with this disease or this, this, this breakdown in a, in, a, in, a, in a marriage or in a, in a family, this, this, this grief that I carry, this failure, this disappointment, whatever it might be, Yes, but regardless of how bad it is, I have Jesus in my life. I'm alive in Christ, and I'm going to live with him forever. That perspective makes a difference. Now, we could stop here. We could, we could, just, we could just boom right here, and, and you know, we close in prayer, and, 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 we, and we could just leave and, 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 and beat the, the Baptists to Ruby Tuesday. So right? we, could, we could do that, but I'm not. Because there's more. Uh, there's one more death reference. It's in verse 5, the next verse. It says this. Put to death. See that there? Put to death, therefore. Can I pause you for just a moment in the, in the reading of that? A long time ago, I learned that whenever you see a therefore, understand what comes before it and what comes after it. If you see a therefore, you must always understand what went before it to understand what happened because it's a, it's a consequential thing. Because this happened, this happened. That's what therefore means. You understand what has gone on before. Paul is writing to this church in Colossae and said, you're, you were dead in your sins, you're now in, in, not, you're now in Christ, so now, he says, I'm telling you some things that you need to know. The first thing he told them is, don't go back to those, that empty religion that, that couldn't save you in the first place. And this is the second thing. This is the second thing. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, 
lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. That's a pretty powerful verse. Doesn't take, excuse me, doesn't take long to read, but there's a lot there. It says we are to put to death our old nature. Wait a minute. I'm, 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 I'm alive in Christ. I'm dead to the old, yes. But you know, the, sometimes the Bible t- calls us we're living sacrifices. That means that we're, we're the living dead. We, we've, the thing about, somebody pointed out accurately, the thing about living sacrifices is they keep trying to crawl off the altar. And our old nature wants to pull us back into the things, our nature, the, this, 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 this world in which we live and the, the, the persons that we are, they're, they're, we're inclined at times, frequently at times, to go back into the things that we used to be. But he says we're to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then, and then he goes into detail. He lists five, not, not necessarily five things, but five categories. Five categories. And first of all, he says sexual immorality. Well, that's kind of a big, broad thing. What, is that, what does that mean? Sexual immorality. Here's, here's quite simply what it means. Hear me on this. It means simply this. Sexual relations outside of marriage. That's what it means. Sexual relations outside of marriage. He says, he's put it to death. Sexual relations outside of marriage, that, that, is, that is a boyfriend and a girlfriend having sex who are not married. That means a man who is married or a woman who is married to their spouse but having sex with someone else outside of marriage. We call that adultery. The first one is, fancy term is, is fornication. But both fall under this category of sexual immorality. He says, put it to death. He calls it what it is. Let me just add here, because this is very important. God created sex. It's God's plan. I tell people this all the time. When somebody's getting ready to get married, I tell them, you know what? God has a wonderful, a wonderful wedding gift for you. It's called sexual intimacy. It's his plan. God created it. Satan, however, he, Satan cannot. He absolutely can create nothing. What he can do is he can take what God created and twist it and misuse it. So please hear me on this. God created sexual intimacy. And it's one of the most wonderful things inside of marriage. It's one of the most destructive things outside of marriage. Hear me. He goes on and he uses this word impurity. What does impurity mean? Impurity means any kind of sexual perversion. Any kind of sexual perversion. That's what impurity means. Under this would be Things of a sexual nature that do not necessarily, it can involve, but it does not necessarily involve two people who agree to sleep together, but it means a twist of natural. Pornography. It is sexual in nature, but it's not God's plan. It's a perversion. Let's call it what it is. It is a perversion, it is a twisting of what God gave for husbands and wives to delight in and appreciate each other's bodies. Homosexuality is a perversion. It is a twisting of what God gave for husbands and wives, men and women within marriage. It's a perversion. Sexual abuse would fall under impurity. Rape would fall under impurity and, and perhaps even one a little bit later on. The, it, it, is, it is taking what God made and twisting it, using it in a way that God never intended and it was not created for. 
See, every one of us here, every one of us here were created as sexual beings. He wired us that way. But it can be misused. It can be twisted. It can be twisted later in life. It can be twisted early in life. Lust is the third thing that he mentions here. Right now, some of you are thinking, oh, man, why didn't he stop with that previous verse? But he goes on. He says, lust. Lust is passions or intensely strong desires. This would be fantasy. This would be, this, would, this too, pornography could fall under here. It's, it's, it's wrapped up. It's entangled in all of this. But it's, it's an intensely strong desire. The interesting thing about lust is that when it is present, it tends to block everything else out or diminish everything else out. Pull it to itself. Evil desires. It means to crave anything that is illicit. Not just want it, but to crave it, to long for it. It often connotes something having to do with the mind, with our fantasy, with our minds. Where the enemy attacks the most is in our minds. Evil desires. And then greed. Greed is is, is a little bit different. It, It does not necessarily mean something sexual, but some translations may use the word that you read, may use the word coveting. Either word that is used, it means to deeply long for something we do not have. And that that something can even become such an object of desire that we begin to worship it more than we worship him. That's why he equates it with idolatry. Greed is a powerful thing. Greed is a destructive thing. Again, God wired us. He made us with the ability and the desire to create things and to be fruitful and multiply as he said, gave the directive to Adam and to Eve. But greed is a twisting of that, a perversion of that ability and desire to create and to multiply and it becomes all about us and our kingdom and our delight and our comfort rather than what God wants to do. Greed is a powerfully destructive thing. And it's equated with idolatry, worshiping it rather than him. And every one of us are susceptible to it. It's a pretty straightforward list. It's not all-inclusive, but it's pretty straightforward. And, and by the way, I warn you, if you think that this is some kind of a one-off, right, that, that, that this is the one time that, that, that Scripture confronts these things, if you think that, you'd be wrong. This is not a, a one-time random thing because essentially the same warning about these same sins was given to Christians in Rome, in Romans chapter 1. Essentially the same list given to a different gathering of believers. It was essentially said to the same thing to Christians in the city of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 6. There's a list in both. You can read it later. God gave the same, essentially the same list to Christians in the region of Galatia, which you can read about that later in Galatians chapter 5, and to Christians in the city of Ephesus In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, again and again and again, you see the Holy Spirit moving upon people to write to churches or to individuals and to every one of us, but initially to these gatherings of believers in the first century because their culture was saturated by these things. It was saturated by these sins. The the, the culture, so much of it had revolved around these practices. People who claimed faith in Christ were going back to those things. People who had been delivered by God were going back to the things that surrounded and permeated their culture. And God in his word said, kill it, put it to death. He said, kill it, put it to death. You see, here's the thing, and you know this, you're well ahead of me. These things saturated their culture. They saturate our culture today. And too often people 
claim, claiming faith in Christ today continue to go back to it. They were once dead in their sins, but they've come alive in Christ. But now that they're in Christ, they often go back to those sins. Today, right now, perhaps even in this room or to someone listening to this message, some excuse these things, saying, well, these things apply to a different time or to another generation. I'm going to say this, and I'm tired of hearing it. And I get angry when I hear it. Now, they, the person who says it, they probably don't know I get angry, but inside I, I, I become angry when I hear this. When I hear people say, those things are old-fashioned. We don't act, we don't believe that anymore. In one sense, they are old-fashioned. In the second book, excuse me, in the second chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, God created marriage between one man and one woman. So if you want to say it's old-fashioned, it is. But, but it's not just of a generation before ours or maybe two or three before ours. How dare we, how arrogant people can be to think that somehow now this current generation, I'm, I've lived old enough to, to know that I remember my generation saying that about previous generations. Oh, that was old-fashioned. Now I'm, you know, getting older, I'm getting increasingly to the later generations, and I continue to hear that, as if to say that the next generation always thinks that they are somehow enlightened, and it no longer applies to them, and so they excuse it by saying, that's old-fashioned. There's something wrong there. Some defend these things, saying they're now acceptable, or they're now legal, or how we've come to a greater understanding of these things and we have a greater appreciation for them. I hear that all the time as well. But God's word still says it's wrong. Some people who claim faith in Christ, people who said, I have gone from darkness to light, from death to, 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 to the living some who claim faith in Christ try to make themselves an exception to them. Some years ago, a young man and his girlfriend were living together, and I, as a pastor, I talked with him, and he said, well, we've prayed about this, and we feel that God blesses it. And I said, no, that's not true. That's not what God's Word says. It's wrong. But yet people who claim faith in Christ think that somehow they're the exception to it. Some who declare Christ even celebrate some of these sins. Some celebrate the perversion. Some celebrate the immoralities. Some are proud of the fact. Some are, it's on full display. They say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and we not only accept these things, we celebrate these things. We've come to a point in our world, in our time, in our culture when this happens. You know this. You've seen it. People who say, I'm a Christian, but I celebrate this. You want to know how serious this is? Let me show you with the very next verse. It says this, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. See, this is, not, this is not GW up here saying, well, this is my opinion. This is what I think. That would be judgmental. This is God's word saying, you were dead in your sins. You're now alive in Christ. But you're going back to those things. And you don't think it's a big deal, but God hates it. God gets angry about it. I love God's blessing, and I pray for God's blessing. I want God's blessing. I want his favor on me. I want his direction on me. I'm talking as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want it on me. You know what the opposite of God's blessing is? God's wrath. I looked up wrath. 
I, th- I thought I knew what it me- meant. It means to be, and you can, you can look this up later in, the, in the, just the uh, English dictionary. It, it, it means extremely angry. I want God's blessing on me. I don't want God's extreme anger on me. But we think that we're the exception. We think it doesn't apply to us. We think that we can call ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ and keep going back to these things and think that God doesn't care. And I'm telling you, he does. This is serious stuff. It's a battle leading up to this message. There are some of you right now that are thinking, perhaps, I'm never going to listen to that podcast again, or I'm never going to go to that church again. Well, let me tell you something. You'll you'll find places where you can go in this community where you will not hear these things condemned. You will. But I know this. It's in God's Word, and so we're called to proclaim it. We're called to preach it. I love God's Word. I love God's Word. It's very encouraging, and it's very comforting. I have found more comfort and more encouragement in the book of Psalms in this last year with the death of my father. I, I've always read through Psalms, but I never, they never meant so much to me until I saw someone who I love very much die. God's word comforted me. I'm so thankful for the, the comfort and the encouragement of God's word. But God's word also corrects us. God's word is a offensive to sin. Remember, it is, a, it is like a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword is not defensive, it's offensive. The double-edged sword of God's word goes against sin and it starts cutting on it and poking on it and prodding it and, and cutting it apart. That's what God's word does. It's supposed to do that. Not simply comfort us in our grief and in our sorrow, but correct us in our sin. To call us to righteousness. And if anyone defends these things or excuses these sins, it will offend them. People say, that is so offensive when you say that. God's word is offensive. It's supposed to be offensive. And as a proclaimer of God's word, I am called to be a proclaimer of all of it. See, I'm going to stand before God someday. I have to be faithful with it. Do you know that there, if you travel five hours north here and you cross over into Canada, do you know that you will be, that, that I would be arrested for saying that? Things that I've said here this morning, I would be arrested there. Because it's offensive speech. It's the word of God. We are called to be the living dead. We are called to be the living dead. We're alive in Christ, but dead to so many of the things in our world. The things that our world applauds, the things that our world endorses, the things that our world celebrates. The things that our world excuses and the things that it doesn't excuse now if it continues on this trajectory in 10, 15, or 20 years from now or perhaps less, it will not only excuse those things but perhaps even celebrate them. But we're called to be the living dead. You have faith in Jesus Christ, you're called to be the living dead. Because being in relationship with Jesus Christ means more than simply believing in God. Being in relationship with him means more than just asking him into our hearts. It is marked by a change in how we live. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to put certain things to death, to come to a place of repentance, not just because we want to be delivered from the consequences of sin, but to be delivered from the sin itself. Too many people simply want to be delivered from the consequences of their sin rather than delivered from the sin itself. You and I and every other person 
who calls on the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are called to be the living dead. And now, come to our part, everyone's part. I've done my part. I've done my part. But now God wants to do a work in you. And I believe he already has by his Holy Spirit. I want you to bow your heads with me. Musicians are coming, and we're going to prepare to an environment in which God wants to do a healing work. I want you to understand that everything that I've said is not to injure, but to heal and to keep people from the wrath of God. I am a proclaimer of the love of God and the mercy of God but it speaks here so pointedly of the wrath of God that comes upon those who take lightly the living dead. Right now the Holy Spirit is doing a work in people's lives. He is doing a holy scan and some of you are perhaps angry, some of you are hurting, but I pray that it comes to a place of repentance. I doubt there's one person here who hasn't failed in one of these. Myself included. Of course. Every one of us have failed. This is not addressed to people outside of Christ. This is directed to people who are followers of Christ. So this morning, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered your life to Him at any point in the past, long time ago or just recently, this is for you. And I want this to be a place of repentance. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to begin to sing a song called Deeper. And it's going deeper in the Lord, deeper in our relationship with Him, going to a place we've never gone before with Christ. You will never be able to get there holding on to the sin of your past. There will be many people that say you cannot change. And yet I know the power of God is sufficient to change any person and to heal them and to deliver them and forgive them of anything if they are repentant. So here's what I'd like you to do. Please stand. If you can, please stand. We're going to sing this. And here's what we, here, service is going to be done. As soon as, I, as soon as we begin singing, service is going to be done. If you need to go, you go. But I'm going to open up these altars. And, 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 and you will do perhaps one of the, what you think is one of the bravest things, and, and it, it's going to take, and, and listen, there will be absolutely no judgment. Somebody comes down, here's the thing, if you think, I'm, I'm not going to go down there because they're going to think bad. You know what, by the time they hit Ruby Tuesdays, they're not going to be thinking about you. I promise you. They're good people, but they don't think about you that much. they got enough other things to think about. So don't you worry about what they think. We're talking about eternal things here. We're talking about eternal things here. It's very serious. So don't you let something like, oh, what will people think? That's pride. doesn't matter what they think. doesn't matter what they think. It's what God thinks. So no matter who you are, what you've done, it could be any variation. These could be all of these, could be ones. I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you come down. You spend some time at these altars and say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Would you heal? Forgive me and heal me 
and deliver me. God, I'm going to give it to you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, some of you are thinking, oh, no, wait. Serious stuff. Serious stuff. So I'm going to pray. We're going to start singing. Service is done when you're done praying. You absolutely need to go, go. But let's come to a place of prayer. And I'm going to start, right? So you don't feel bad. I'm going to, I'm going to come down here. I'm going to be the first one at this altar. Not because there's some deep, dark sin, but because I've seen the fallenness in my own life. And, and, and yet I've seen, I've seen darkness, but I've seen light. Hallelujah. Ready? Lord Jesus, now, as we close this service, you are not done with us. You will be done with us, Lord, when we breathe our last. But Jesus, I pray for a powerful work right now. There are some people that are going to walk down here, Lord, and they're going to be with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. There are going to be some people that are going to come down, and, and, they're, and, and they're going to have a meeting with you. And, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do a powerful work in their lives meet them here. You, you promised to meet us at an altar of repentance. You promised, Lord. You, you, you said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So Lord, we want to go deeper in, with you. We want to go deeper in our walk with you than ever before. But those things that may have held on to us, even, even if we think they're small, God, we're, we're not, we're, we're, we're not going to hold on to it because we want to go deeper with you. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. gather as they continue to sing. Spend some time with the Lord. Give ourselves to the Lord.